everyone, Rebecca here. I just wanted to let you all know that the official Patreon page for How the Fuck Did You Get So Confident is now live. We're offering things like early access to episodes, video recordings of episodes, bonus content, and more. So head on over to patreon.com slash howthefuck to subscribe. Thanks for listening. Welcome to How the Fuck Did You Get So Confident? My name is Rebecca, and this is the podcast where I interview my friends, peers, and strangers to figure out, well, how the fuck they got to be so confident. In this episode, I chat with board-certified mental health clinician, author, and content creator, Dr. Kojo Sarfo. We talk about the benefits of making an intentional effort to be authentic every day, realizing there are different paths to reach your purpose, discovering your values and never compromising on them, and so much more. This is How the Fuck Did You Get So Confident? with guest Dr. Kojo Sarfo. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Good. It's nice meeting you. Um, Likewise. So this podcast is all about confidence, and um, mm-hmm. you came up on my TikTok recently, and I was like, Oh, so this person is super confident and like has some of the same um, priorities priorities that I do in terms of um, mental health awareness and and things like that. So I really wanted to have you on the show, and I'm so pumped to have you. Um, Thank you. So usually I start out by asking. Well, I I should actually give a little background about who you are and what you do. So, and you need to tell me what all the like letters behind your name because I have no fucking clue um so what is what is DNP I saw one that was longer that I didn't write down because I didn't know what it meant I see psych NP so what 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 is your profession what is your career right so a a DNP someone who has a doctorate degree but you went through the nursing route and when you had a chance to choose between the PhD which most people know or the DMP, I took a DMP route. So okay. you take the, the nursing route, you get a nursing degree. So a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner's degree, which allows you to prescribe, assess, and diagnose patients, uh, allows you to do psychotherapy as well. And then you can do that at a master's level, but if you want to go for your doctorate, you can do that as well. So I just went and I got a terminal degree and then, you know, you have to do a doctoral project on something. I did my own substance abuse. Uh, so uh, okay. doctor of nursing practice, uh, and the psych NP, this is a psychiatric nurse practitioner degree, and all the the, the funky letters. Uh, I think you, you might be talking about the PMHNP. Yes. Which yeah, which just means psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. Okay. Um, it, it's confusing to everybody else, so I have to break it down. And no, I'm, I'm not breaking it down. Okay, good because I I just need you know everybody needs to know. Um, right. And okay, and that means you do you work for. A hospital or do you work for yourself or you can do either of those things what what are you what do you do right now you can do either of those things so I was I came from Virginia moved out here to Southern California and I'm actually I moved to Orange County with a couple of friends and I'm actually in the process of moving to like downtown LA which is like a mess trying to figure out you know how all this stuff works there's a million different but you, you know about that Oh yeah, uh, I but that. I was I was in forensic psychiatry in Virginia, and now I'm out here working in LA. I work with a, a treatment center called Visions. I don't know if you've heard them, but they're an adolescent treatment center. Uh, mm-hmm. They have a couple of locations: one in downtown, uh, one in Malibu, and they're actually expanding to Orange County. But right now, I'm not doing a clinical role with them. It's more so helping them with social media. But later on, as my schedule gets sorted out and things like that, then I'll take on like a clinical role where you'll be assessing and diagnosing and helping patients who have depression eating disorders and you know we run the gamut wow okay that's incredible um okay I'm gonna back up usually I start by saying what does confidence mean to you like when you hear that word what what do you think about are you asking me now yeah what does confidence mean to me it means making every intentional effort to live as authentic as possible you know so say that again being your authentic making an intentional effort to be as authentic as possible every day intentional effort I love that word and do you consider yourself a confident person yeah I do have you always been that way 
Uh, I would not say so. I think the more reluctant I was to make mistakes, the more insecure I was. So the more I made mistakes and realized that nobody was really, you know, paying attention or that everybody's making mistakes as well. So the more I put myself out there and make mistakes, the more confident I've become, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, were you confident? Like, what were you like as a kid? I usually go back oh, all the oh, way oh. to childhood. <laughs> as a kid, it's funny because uh, my mom likes to say that growing up, my older, it's six of us, but my older okay. sister, the one who's directly, you know, in front of me, she was more so the outgoing person, you know, like she wanted to be like a Disney star growing up. Uh, and I was more so kind of shy and reserved. Uh, so I was actually pretty shy growing up. And then she was outgoing one. And as I, as we grew up, we switched, you know, I kind of yeah. became more extroverted. Uh, it's funny how that works. Yeah. Are you the, so you're the second oldest, you're the second born child. The, the third of six. The third. Okay. Okay. Right. So you're right there in the middle. How did yeah. that affect your confidence in any way? Like having both older and younger siblings, like having a couple siblings to look up to and then having some younger siblings that look up to that looked up to you. Did that play a, a factor at all in building your confidence? Uh, it, maybe slightly in terms of maybe re- relating to people, you know, being able to talk, you know, you have such a big family. So you talk with your siblings, your cousins and things like that. Uh, so that could have played a, a role, but I want to say it was more so just getting out there and, you know, making mistakes, you know, and like having mistakes, like in high school, like when you fail a class or things like that, the more I made mistakes that were somewhat public, you know, I realized that like I would go through something and then after that, I would still wake up the next day and I was still the same. So I realized that there's nothing really wrong with making, you know, there's certain mistakes that of course there's big mistakes and small mistakes, but like every day I make like small mistakes all the time. Like I'm still making mistakes like every single day, but that contributes to the confidence. Yeah. What, where did you grow up? What area of the country did you grow up in? So uh, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. And I spent, you know, my formative years in Norway, you know, country in Europe. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. Back so, up. This is big. We need to talk about this. Okay. All right. All right let's talk so, about it. I love, I love when guests, um, are not from the States. It's, it's cool to get another perspective. Um, okay. So you're born in Ghana. Is that what you said? Right. Right. And how old, how long did you live there before you moved? Like 14 months. Like, I don't really remember. Not really. Okay. And then where did you move? Then we moved to Norway, which is a country in Europe. Um, it's a Scandinavian country up there close to Finland, Sweden. And we stayed there for like five, almost six years. And then from there, we moved to Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. What was Norway like? Norway? Is that what you said? Right. Norway. Norway, it was... uh, I've never been there. It's uh, extremely white, but extremely safe and, um, uh, you know, extremely cold. Uh, But it's one of the the safest countries in in the world. And um, I had a really good childhood. You know, I wasn't exposed to like a lot of you know, poverty or racism, to my knowledge, until, you know, we moved, I was like six or seven, and we moved from Norway to Nashville, Tennessee, like the inner city, the the project, so that was like a, you know, a huge uh, adjustment right there. Right, 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 mm-hmm. what, what, so you were like seven, what, right. what did you experience when you moved to Nashville that was, Nashville. that was like eye-opening for you? Uh, it's just small things, like you would go to, uh, you would go to school and then you get your lunch and then you turn around and like all the, the black kids are sitting here and all the white kids are sitting there. And I'd never seen that type of thing before, you know, like, like, like small social cues. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm supposed to say, I, I don't think I'm supposed to be with them. Like, you know, you, wow. you kind of pick up, you pick up on it. So like it's some, sometimes I feel like it's an American thing. I mean, mm-hmm. they have racism everywhere, but it's, it's almost like there's a system and you just kind of fall in line with it. You know? Yeah. I- yeah, you're not the first person that I've talked to. I've talked to a few people who um, lived internationally and said sort of the same thing where I have a friend who I interviewed for this and she lived in Germany and she was like, yeah, there was like no other black people, but like there also wasn't any racism there. She was like, right, I didn't experience right. any racism until I moved to the United States. Right. Um, and so it sounds, yeah, it sounds like a similar, a similar mm-hmm. thing. Um, 
what did that, what did your schooling, how did your schooling experience affect your confidence, whether it was like a friend circles or academic Mm. performance or getting mentors and teachers, or maybe having not great teachers, just what was your sort of education experience prior to graduating and how did that affect your confidence? Uh, so in terms of confidence, it was, to be honest, it was, it was actually pretty shaky growing up because yeah. we moved to, uh, you know, Nashville and, you know, we're living there in the projects. So, you know, free lunch and uh, even the school bus we took, like my parents didn't want us going to the school that we were zoned to. So they even, they kind of lied. They said that we couldn't speak English. So we got to be on the special ed bus and take the, you know, the, that bus to a different school in the area. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to this elementary school in Nashville, you know, we're getting free lunch, we're wearing the same shoes almost every day, mm-hmm. you're riding the short bus, so mm-hmm. kids will pick up on that, and, like, the kids will be laughing at you, and, like, I'll get off the bus, and I'll be laughing with them, I know they're laughing at me, I'm like, what's going on, I, is this a bus, um, you know, so some of those things, they do matter, because as you grow up, you know, you identify, people identify with like their struggle kind of becomes like part of your identity yeah. uh you know so it wasn't until like you know we moved to Georgia we're in the Atlanta Georgia area and then I remember when I was in seventh grade we got a house for the first time that was like a big thing to be in a house because like you would watch t- tv and kids would have houses and stuff like that <laughs> and like we yeah. were in apartments right so uh you know being able to live in a house believe it or not boosts my confidence like it's like small things that led to incremental increases in my confidence and uh you know then that that house did get foreclosed during the you know the crisis and i think mm-hmm. 08 09 yeah so you know we had ups and downs but like getting to see myself in a certain situation like it allows you to believe in yourself more you know so like you didn't go to college and i get to graduate like you see yourself oh i'm a college graduate uh and you have to tell yourself that you are something before you can kind of become it yeah. or you have to see somebody who looks like you do it um because if you can't like visualize yourself doing something it's gonna be hard to kind of pull it off uh so now i you know and and growing up i used to read autobiographies too because we didn't have any game systems no playstations no game boys nothing like that so Mm -hmm. i had no choice and not that like i loved reading but i didn't have anything to do so like i would go to the the library actually they had this uh like a like a little van like a mobile library mm-hmm. I, don't yeah. know, I don't have to have them anymore but um they used to I know what you're talking uh, about yeah right they used to come through uh, in the hood and we get to read books and I would read our biographies on like people like Bill Clinton you know I'm like I remember his story like he was like a poor kid from Arkansas and then he met John F. Candy and then he started to believe in himself and he went to politics and like I would compare myself to everybody who Michael Jordan like I would just read books and you know, those small things will kind of like give me confidence that oh they could kind of do it so I can do it so I just had to see people do it and then once I convinced myself that I was going to do something at that point uh, I pretty much did everything that I said I was going to do yeah so so if I if I'm hearing what you're saying correctly it's difficult to know what your abilities are and what you can accomplish when you don't see yourself reflected in the world around you or in exactly. the me- in the media around you or whatever's in front of you that you're ingesting. Um, right. But when you start to see, oh, this person who's like, like me, I see them succeeding. So now I feel like I have a shot and I can do right. this thing. Right. Um, right. When did you start seeing yourself reflected in the world around you was it when you were reading these books or was it the transition to Atlanta or can you pinpoint any specific time where you were like oh oh this person's doing the thing so I can do the thing it's weird because like growing up all those things like led to increases in confidence but like I'm, I'm actually able to pinpoint the moment uh it was the um uh Obama's inauguration actually 2009 and um I don't even know too much about his political stances because I'm not a big politics type of guy, but seeing a, a black man be, uh, you know, uh, inaugurated into office. I remember watching that in French class. We were watching it and like, I, I had so much pride within myself and like, 
I started to realize that like you really could pull this off because I remember keeping up with his campaign. I'm like, I don't think he could do it. And then like I would always ask myself, why does he think he can, you know, like that's not like a black, you know, uh, person type of job. That's not right. like people job, like president of the US, uh, you know, so I'm like, and then like as he became bigger and like I remember the media hype, I'm like, he might pull, he might pull this off. And then like you would see celebrities support him and the young Jeezy came out with a song. I'm like, hold up, it would be crazy if he pulled this off. It'd be kind of surreal. So like to see him do it, I'm like, I'm like, you know what, you can, you can do the things that you say you want to do. So that was actually like very important for like my personal development, you know? Yeah. That's so incredible to, to know that, like the inauguration of this, I mean, it's the, you know, the highest position in the United States and yeah. you, I remember that moment too. And I remember yeah. being just like filled with optimism and um, hope. Um, yeah. okay. So you went to high school and then you graduated and then what happened? Mm -hmm. What's next in your life? So I remember I was uh, 17 and then my dad, uh, you know, I was a poor high school student. I felt like three classes. My dad's like, Kojo, what do you want to do with your life? And then, like, I was joking. I'm like, I guess I'll rap or something. And he's like, no, for real. Like, what are you going to do with your life? And you know, coming from a West African background, we go to school, you know, you go to college, mm -hmm. it's not an option, mm -hmm. you know, so being in California and seeing, like, influences, like, not go to college and do well, like, it blows my mind, but, you know, we didn't have the option, like, my dad's like, you're gonna go to school, do something, so I applied to uh, a lot of schools in the area, I, I got denied by all the in-state schools, I remember I applied to Florida State, I don't know why, because my GPA wasn't good, but I didn't get into that, um, and I got to St. John's, a private school in New York, and I got half the money to go, but then my English teacher, who was supposed to write the recommendation for me, like I was one of his worst students. So I knew that whatever he wrote wasn't gonna work out for me. So I was um, I was at a crossroads, I didn't know what to do. And, and at that time, my dad had lost a job as an engineer. You know, we lost a house because of the housing crisis. Yeah. So um, my older sister, who was a nurse, you know, told my dad, well, you might want to try nursing. And he tried it and he was in the middle of the program. And he said, Kojo, go get a two-year nursing degree. And after that, I won't bother you anymore. You know, get a two-year nursing degree and do that and then do whatever you want with your life. Um, so that's essentially what I did. I went to Mobile, Alabama. I did a one-year, um, I did one-year prerequisites. You know, then I applied for the nursing program at the University of West Alabama. Uh, and I got in there and I got my associate's degree. And then, you know, I got my bachelor's and I learned about the, the DMP program where you could practice psychiatry through the nursing path. And then I took that, you know, but each degree, I would say, made me more confident. Um, and uh, being financially independent, you know, it, it made me confident too, because I remember having to ask my father for, uh, you know, in college, I would ask him for like $5, literally. So, hey, dad, just let me get $5. I promise. I just, I just need to buy some Hardee's or something. I'm kind of mm -hmm. hungry. Mm -hmm. Or $5 for coins. Uh, and then he would send me 10 bucks or $15. And that would, like, make my whole day. Literally, like, a $15. We didn't have cash out back then. So, like, a $15, like, deposit into the Bank of America, like, it made me, like, walk with my chest up. Like, I was so, like, excited. Uh, so when I could finally operate without having to ask my parents for money, it was the most liberating thing. Um, and that allowed me to start, you know, I started to think about like where I want, like where I am today about business, things like that. And I realized that you do need money in a sense. Like it's not the most important thing, but when you don't have enough bits where it restricts how you want to live, mm -hmm. uh, then yeah, it, it, it can affect your confidence. Yeah, I mean, we live unfortunately in a capitalistic society where, we as you know a civilization has we have decided that money is a thing that's important to us mm -hmm. and um for as much bad as money can can do it can also do a lot of good so right. um and you know i've had to learn that like wanting money is not a bad thing you know right. Right. i don't know if you've ever <laughs> felt like that but it's like oh yeah i have yeah where it's like uh, you don't want to be like i want money but it's like mm -hmm. no you 
that's okay. Like that's, right. we've decided as society that that's something that we have to have. So like, that's okay. You can do good things with it. Um, right. uh, you, when you, when you got, when you didn't get accepted into mm -hmm. some of those colleges, mm -hmm. you didn't get the letter of recommendation that you wanted. Right. How did that affect you? And what did it take for you to set that aside and continue moving forward and yeah. continue applying to different schools and discovering your interests? Like, cause I can imagine that right. probably didn't feel great, but you overcame it anyway so i'm just curious of how about how that felt and what caused you to continue your journey your educational journey yeah. it, it was it was a wake-up call that i needed to be honest like i oh. remember my classmates i mean some of them pulled me inside and they're like Cody, you're such a smart kid but you just didn't apply yourself you know and, and like they told i'm the type of person that like when i talk to people like i i'm direct but I want to know how you process information. So if you, you don't like to, you know, to get like the direct truth, then then maybe I'll, I'll be very careful my words. You know, I don't like doing that, but I might have to do that. But for me, I like people to tell me like, like be as direct as possible. So like I had friends say, hey, you just didn't apply yourself, but you're so smart. And um, I remember going back to UGA to see my friend who I was supposed to room with, but I didn't get into UGA. And like, I walked across the campus and the school was huge and they had like, these huge football games and then he's like you could have been here and like that right there just kind of motivated me to you know to to do better but by then I was already in college but seeing my friends like go off to all these schools and like you know they would post on Facebook I got a full ride to Yale I got a full ride to Georgia Tech I got a full ride to Florida State LSU all these big schools um to see them post that stuff and then like you know to you know people would ask me like what score are you going to and like I would have to lie and say oh I'm, I'm just trying to figure things out you know because you know you don't want people like all up in your business yeah right so, yeah it was tough yeah yeah but then but then you found the path that you were meant for and right. I'm curious what about um nursing and mental health in particular mm -hmm. attracted you to that career so it's funny because, uh, you know, in second grade, I, um, you know, because we came from Norway and I told you my parents had to lie, essentially. They, they don't like to say the word lie. They'll use like another euphemism for it, but they had to lie to get us into that school. Uh, you know, so I was around kids who were Spanish speaking hmm. and they, uh, you know, they couldn't really speak English. You know, And I was in these uh, ESL classes, English as a second language classes. Hmm. So I could speak perfect English, you know, coming from Norway, like that was our main language. We had the Norwegian language, Norse, but I could speak English. So I was literally in the ESL classes teaching the, the Spanish kids how to speak English. And they were like, why are you in here? You know, and then you would have some kids uh, who had special needs in there. And like, I would help them because like I was already a helper. So I considered myself to be somebody who was helping people. Um, and, you know, when I got into nursing, I took the mental health route and you get to talk to people and you get to use your conversational skills. And uh, and even the mental health thing, that kind of happened like, you know, it just kind of happened. Like my dad recommended for me to move from Macon, Georgia to Augusta, Georgia to work at a psych hospital there. And I think he and my mom wanted us to come on home. You know, my sister and I were working at the hospital. He wanted us to come home and be with the family because uh, it's like a cultural thing, like kids go to school and they come back, you know, in American culture, you, you go to college and you live your life, but African mm -hmm. parents want you to come back home. Mm -hmm. So my dad was like, hey, we have a psych hospital here. It pays good. You know, you're, you're six, three, you know, you shouldn't be afraid of the patients. I'm like, I'm not afraid. So I came and I gave it a shot and uh, I actually wanted to quit initially because it was so weird. Like you're in the hospital, you're seeing people like you know, smear feces on the wall, get into fights and things like that. So it was, I wanted to quit initially. Um, and I, I had like this whole master plan on how I was going to quit. And I actually wanted to get myself fired, but they were so short at the psych hospital that they didn't fire me. Uh, and thankfully they didn't because as I stayed, I, I began to actually like talk to the patients. And I'm like, wow, like these are human beings like me, me and you, but they may have lost a parent. They may have hit their head and had a brain injury and now they're hearing voices. So 
uh, when I realized how similar I was to the patients, I'm like, you know, what? I like this job. And then that got me curious into, you know, into seeing like, hey, how can I um, take on a, a bigger role, you know, within the, the, the treatment team at the hospital? So I was talking to the other nurses and the psychiatrists to kind of figure out like, you know, I want to make this a career. And then I just started to like learn from, from that moment on. Yeah. Would you say that helping others helps you build your confidence or helps For you? Sure. It does. For sure. What, what about it helps you build your confidence? Just like teaching a new skill or like, what about it? Do you think it helps build your confidence? Teaching a new skill is definitely part of it, but also just the fact that knowing that somebody kind of needs you. Mm, yeah. 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 Like I, I know I'm somebody that I know, uh, I like to be needed, you know, like if, you know, like that's where I, you know, derive some of my, um, my self-worth from like knowing that people like I'm, I'm here for a reason. Everybody needs a why when you wake up. So when I wake up and like, you know, you go to the hospital and, and people are like, Hey, thank you so much for taking care of me. Or I appreciate you sitting down to talk with me. Or even now, like looking through Instagram and just reading some of the messages, it's the craziest thing ever. I'm like, what in the world? Like this is a real life. This is crazy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I wonder if I, I was reading a little bit about your book. Cause you have a book mm -hmm. too. Um, That's great. which is wild. It's called you already won. Right. You, you already won. You, you just have accomplished, have accomplished so many things. Um, but one of the things that stood out to me was it said remaining patient while you're searching for your purpose. Right. Do you feel like you know your purpose? And if so, what is it? And how did you find it? So, so I actually feel fortunate because I feel like I do know my purpose. And my purpose is to help other people, uh, to, help, to help people help themselves. Mm. And as I do that, I actually help myself, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. You know, so, and that's my purpose. Uh, but the, you know, the question, the, the question don't stop there. Like you have to figure out that's your purpose, but now how are you going to do this? Like, is it going to be right. through TikTok, another book, you know, like different skits, like there's different ways to, to chase your purpose. And that's where totally. the excitement comes from, you know, whether it's through practice, like I just recently took on a contract where I'm seeing patients uh, at a jail in Virginia. You know, so now I'm, I'm waking up at 5 a.m. California time, you know, to make sure that I can uh, adjust it. You know, so I'm, I'm always doing yeah. different things, whether it's actual clinical practice or like being on TikTok or going live. Or now I'm doing Twitch streaming, you know, so I'm, I'm always looking to. Yeah, it's a lot um, that I do. And and people are like, oh, you do so much. I'm like, I enjoy doing this. Like if I sit around, like when I came to California for the first two weeks, I was just sitting around and driving to the beach. I'm like, this is a nice life, but I need to do something. Yeah. 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 I gotta be busy. So wait, you just said you're, you took on a contract to work at, at a jail. Is that what you said? That's correct. So, uh, um, I have my Virginia license is still active, you know, cause I was out there working for almost a year and a half. So I'm filling, I'm filling in for a psychiatrist who's out on attorney leave. So is this a three month contract? And you um, do it virtually or you have to fly out there? Uh, you do it virtually. Oh. Yeah. So uh, is this telepsychiatry? I have my Mac right here. I have my iPad uh, and like, you know, and I, I'm at a friend's house in Culver City uh, and I'm able to go into this little closet right here yeah. and I was seeing patients. Uh, so and if I want to go anywhere in the, the U.S., like I can go back to visit my family and as long as I have my iPad and my laptop, you know, I can do that. So it, it, it's, it's nice. Has that, has it always been that way or is that because of COVID? It ha so it used to be a thing where like even pre-COVID you could see somebody like, mm -hmm. like uh, but after, like post-COVID is like a huge thing now, yeah. you know, like they actually reached out to me um, and this is like the perfect type of thing for me because like I'm always on the go. Mm -hmm. But they reach out to me and I'm like, you know, this, this is cool. I get to still utilize my skills and, you know, stay up to date on the, the latest evidence-based practice while putting out TikTok information, while yeah. not compromising my schedule. I thought it was pretty cool. So, yeah, yeah. that's incredible. 
Um, what have you learned from your patients, whether it was at the psych, oh, I don't want to say the wrong thing, psych ward? Is that is that the right term or is that not politically so, correct? I'm not even sure because the patients will say psych ward and I'm okay with that. Sometimes they'll say the loony bin. I'm like, I, I don't want to say that. I'm not, I don't want to say that. Psychiatric hospital, psych Psychiatric ward, hospital, yeah. that feels better right. to me. Psychiatric hospital. Right. Um, so when you were working in a psychiatric hospital and you were like, oh man, I'm, I, this is really hard. This is a little scary. I'm probably going to quit. And you then changed your mind because mm-hmm. you realized that we're all human and that we all share similarities. Um, have you learned anything from any of your patients, whether it, the patients in the psychiatric hospital or your current patients at the the jail at the prison have you learned anything from them oh yeah yeah i, I learned from them every day you know i feel like they're some of the strongest individuals that yeah. i've ever come across like they they tell you stories and you know I, i'm a big fan of storytelling so when i hear somebody's story and like for me like i'm big on family so when somebody has lost like all their family you know or something like that to see them go on it's inspirational to me because i'm like wow like if that happened to my mom, I don't know what I would do. But then they're out there encouraging other people on the unit, tell them to keep their head up. I'm like, wow, that that's the, like I, I take a lot from that. I can learn a lot from their perspective, you know, because I've never been through something like that. So I'm always looking to them for inspiration, interestingly enough. Yeah. And then you talk a little bit about um your family and how close how close you are to them. Mm-hmm. Um did your family ever instill confidence in you? Was that a quality that they wanted you to have or or what did they try to instill in you as, as a human being living in this world? So actually they did, they don't call it confidence. You know, yeah. my mom doesn't call it confidence, but she would always like say things like, oh, uh, like, like y'all, she would refer to us as a kid. She's like, oh, y'all are gonna do great things in this country. Like y'all are gonna like change policies and y'all are gonna like make like headline. Like she would speak confidence into us. And I realized that like parenting is is huge. Like the things that you tell your child or the things that you were told as a child is very important, you know, because you'll be 25, 35, 45, and there'll be that voice in your head that will tell you that, oh, um, I'm not good enough because somebody that you looked up to as a kid told you that you weren't good enough. And that voice would be there, like, it could be there, like, for life, mm-hmm. you know? So, like, my mom would say these things, and sometimes, like, I'd be laughing, and I wouldn't believe her, or, you know, like, I'd, I'd be playing PlayStation, I'm like, yeah, sure, mom, yeah, 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 I'll do that. But, like, she would say these things over and over, and, um, you know, you start to believe it, at, you know, after you hear it so many times. Yeah. Um, so, when did, when did you start your TikTok, or, like, what is your journey with social media and how social did that, media. yeah, how did that come about? Right, so uh, we have to go back to 2017. So 2017, I was in the middle of, um, you know, grad school, you know, I was in a three-year doctorate program and I, I mean, I liked school because I, I got good at it, you know, in the, when I was in college, but I'm sitting there telling myself like, okay, I'm at least two years away from graduating. I need something like a short-term goal. So a couple of friends, you know, we started a clothing company and then we use it to promote mental health awareness. So we got a partnership with Mental Health America, which is the largest nonprofit uh, that promotes mental wellness for all Americans. And they're in Washington, D.C. So we did that. And it was really cool because, you know, we get to travel around and meet like influencers. I didn't consider myself to be one then, but we get to meet people. So we got to go to Mental Health America, um, their conference. Uh, one year they had Lady Gaga's mom out there. One year they had... Um, uh, uh, what's Destiny's Child, uh, Michelle Williams from Destiny's Child, yeah, uh, talking about her um, battles with depression. They had, um, uh, I can't, um, Abby Wambach, um, Wambach, Wambach, she's a U.S. um, uh, women's soccer player. Mm. Uh, so we had her there, then we had her wife the next year. Um, I don't say that's her wife, I think, Glennon Doyle. I might be getting name wrong, but I think it's right. But we got to meet all these different celebrities who were promoting mental health awareness and that allowed us to 
it actually got me comfortable talking on camera you know because mm. if you've never like done this type of thing before it's tough to put a phone in front of your face and talk and nobody's there you have yeah. to you know you have to like like your friends will be looking at you like like dude what are you doing you know so like I got comfortable with you know having a, a canon around and my brother would film me and things like that so uh that was fairly successful i mean within augusta georgia because that's where i was going to school at we're gonna, within augusta georgia people knew who i was but augusta's a small town it's not like kind of how big you know tiktok is so um but it was practice for for tiktok or whatever would you know be the next thing um so when i got to virginia and i once i graduated and i got to virginia i had my first job uh then i was working five days a week i was free on the weekends um, and I would travel, actually, I had, that's what it was. I had written my book, September 29th of 2019. So I was using my weekends then to travel around the country and promote the book. So I got on TikTok to promote the book and I heard Gary Vee talk about TikTok. He wouldn't shut up about it. So I was like, all right, I'll download the app. And then uh, I was going around, I was in Detroit when I made my first TikTok and I was promoting my book. But the TikTok, it didn't do, like, the TikTok was ass. Like, it wasn't even a good one. It was just me holding the book up. And I nearly deleted the, the app, but then, you know, I'll start to watch people's TikToks and like, okay, you can feel the person through the screen. I said, I want to be like that. Uh, and my younger brother was saying, oh, people pay more attention to TikTok than to the teachers at his school. So I started to think to myself, okay, if I can figure out how to get my message across and let people know who I am, and where I stand for, if they can feel me through a phone screen, I think I can take this thing somewhere. You know, so I just started to post and I didn't think it'd become this big, but it kind of, you know, went like this. Yeah, it, it blew up. So it originally for you, it was a tool to promote your book and right. then, right. And then it just like built snowballed and built on itself and built on itself. Right. I love it because I love your TikTok because a lot of people think, I feel like that TikTok is just like TikTok dances. Like right. people who aren't on TikTok don't realize right. that it's more than just like TikTok dances. Right. And you combine like things that are popular on TikTok with right. things about mental health so right. that it's like digestible for everyone. And it isn't exactly. like, you know, it's, it's not like a therapist. It's not just like a therapist telling you something like right. you know how sometimes that feels like kind of condescending when someone's like right. telling you something this is the way you do it is super relatable and non-confrontational and it's not scary where I think right you know there's a stigma with therapy mm. and mental health and people not thinking they need it or being scared of it mm. or you know all that stuff so right. what I love about your TikToks are that they're so relatable and mm easy to digest no matter where you are in your mental health journey. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, do you ever get like bad comments on your TikToks or, or your Instagram or anything? Or like, do you ever get not bullies, but you know what I mean? Like trolls. Yeah. I think anybody gets trolls. Like you have, I mean, people will, I mean, sometimes, you know, even racist stuff, but I mean, people will say things, uh, oh, but yeah, I mean, it happens. I mean, but that's life, you know, you know, that's not something that is, you know, you, you can escape. It, it's, it's one of those, it is what it is. Like, hey, like, where am I going to, I'm not going to change how I live my life, you know, uh, but the bigger you get, people know you more. So now it's like, if I can't get to a, a, a hating comment, like my community will get to it faster than me. Mm. you know and like they'll have my back you know they're like what are you talking about you know like I recently made a post um on Instagram or I reshared something regarding sexual assault all I was saying was people who commit sexual assault need to be held accountable that's unacceptable likewise people who falsely accuse somebody else need to be held accountable I just left it at that and then somebody was saying oh he's invalidating survivors and then my community came and like Oh, he would he would never say that. This is what he was trying to say, like my, my, like they've been following me for like two years now. So it's right. almost like like we're really good friends. So yeah. it was like this is what Kojo meant. Like they'll explain what I would have said, like as if I was saying it because they watched they've been watching my lives for like two years. You know they've been watching videos for two years. So 
it becomes like it's weird because you 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 build this closeness with your community like you never met these people but they know like a lot about you like if you went to lunch with them like you'd be laughing like instantly because like you feel so connected with them so that's the cool thing about it you have people who will come and they'll take care of their trolls and even when i'm on tiktok live you have moderators so if somebody says something like out of line like they'll be blocked before i can even get to their comment so wow did was that ever something that you were worried about like i know that mm -hmm. now that we live in like such a digital age it's it's easy to put content out right. but it's also easy for trolls or negative mm -hmm. people or racist people or whatever yeah. it's easy for them to comment on it because you know they can kind of be anonymous yeah. they can like make up their own mm -hmm. twitter handle or whatever tiktok handle and and be awful um were you ever worried about about that or i just feel like i, I was worried I before it happened like like oh, okay as i started to build like when i, I was more worried of it when i had 4,000 followers versus 700,000. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, what, what people say this? And like, uh, I started to think about all these different things that people could say. But as people said them, as I start to grow, I'm like, I don't care. I really don't care. You know, like, like I'm here living my life and like I'm doing what I have to do. I'm taking care of my family. I'm posting inspirational stuff online. And if everybody likes you, it means that like you can't be a people pleaser. You know, like I'm mm -hmm. going to put, put out the information. Uh, it's more so of a take it or leave it type of thing. And it's already, my information is already kind of like family friendly. Like I'm pretty, you know, you know, PC, but at the same mm -hmm. time, like, you know, somebody can feel like, oh, I, I don't, I don't, I just don't like them. Mm -hmm. But if you don't like me, then that's on you. Like I, mm -hmm. I'm not going to exert any energy trying to figure out why you don't like me. And a lot of times, you know, they're projecting something internally onto you. And then you have to be empathetic. I don't know what they're going through, you know? And even for me, like making the move from Virginia to out here to California, like I realized at some point that if I stayed doing that, and I mean, I, I had like a nice luxury apartment in Virginia, I was making good money, but I realized that if I didn't make the jump, I would have resentment towards my old self and anything keeping me there. So I had to do that for myself. Like if I had stayed in that position, I could have been somebody who would hate on a version of me who was kind of chasing my dreams, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, so people know what they have to do. You know, so when people ask me for advice, you know what you want to do. You know what you should do. You're just actually scared to do that thing. And you're looking for reassurance. But you know, you already know what you want to do. This isn't a matter of you're, you're not confident at that moment to take the step because it's scary or because you could fail and then if you could fail, like who would see you fail? Your parents would see you fail. Uh, everybody online would see you fail. And then if you believe something about yourself to be true and you're insecure about it and somebody mentions it online, that's when you have this whole internal struggle. Cause you're like, dang, I made this business. It didn't work out. What if somebody brings it up? And then somebody can even make a benign comment like, oh, didn't you start that cookie business? And what happened to it? And you're freaking out because you're like, oh, dang it, they saw me fail. Whereas if you just own it, like, yeah, I did this. It didn't, like when you take away the shame, like if someone wants to shame you for something that you're already, you've already made peace with, they'll sit there, they'll be looking wild because like you've already made peace with it and you, you're moving on. And if somebody is trying to make you feel bad and then you don't feel bad, then they're gonna be frustrated. Like I want him, people want you to feel something when they're trying to shame you. You know, so if you have no desire to allow that to affect you, then they're going to stop. They're going to be frustrated because they're, okay, this guy clearly doesn't care that he's failing. And that's like uh, an indicator for success. You have to fail at a lot of things, you know. That's so true. Um, what's your own personal relationship to mental health and your mental health journey, if you're comfortable talking about that? Oh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm an open book. Uh, and when I was in uh, grad school, uh, I got diagnosed with ADHD. I was 26 then. And I talk about it a little bit in my book, you know, because like I'll be in second grade and the teachers would say, oh, he's a smart kid, but he, he, uh, he's like in his own world or, you know, they always kind of, in so many words, they would be like, okay, he's an abstract thinker. Like he's kind of like all over the place. And I would see like kids take like medication for this stuff. Like I would look over and the kids would be getting pulled out of class to take meds. 
I'm like, are are they okay? And like, oh, I just take meds because I can't focus. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And I tell my mom that, and you know, we come from a religious household, and she's like, oh no, I'm gonna pray for you. You'll be okay. And I said, oh, okay, all right, cool. That's how we did things. Mm-hmm. And uh, even in my book, I talk about when I was watching a baseball game, uh, and it was a Braves game, and the first baseman he fielded the ball. It took forever to get the first base. I'll never forget this game. I was watching the live, and then uh, because he took forever to get there, the other the runner got to the first base before him, and then the other team kept scoring points. I mean runs in baseball. And the Braves lost, and the first baseman was benched. His name was Adam LaRoe. She was benched for it. And after the game, he came out. Uh, well, like two days later, he came out and said that he had ADHD. He struggles with it. He's taking medication for it. Sometimes he would, like, daydream. And that whole story made me think, like, I feel like I have that. Whatever he has, I have that. But I didn't even bother telling my mom because she was like, uh, no, my kids don't have that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it wasn't until I could, and a lot of people would get diagnosed when they're adults. You know, like I was 26, I'm juggling like a company, like I have to get the doctor degree. I'm trying to, you know, make sure that I'm spending time with my grandma who's getting older. And then your girlfriend's like, okay, we don't spend time. And then your grades are failing. And then, you know, your siblings are having events that you don't want to miss. And then that's when people are able to kind of figure out, okay, I'm looking at my time management. I have a million tabs open. I haven't done anything. Like something is going on here, you know? So that's when I went and I got seen by a doctor. I got the diagnosis and um, it was tough for my mom to even like, like try and figure out what was going on because she, uh, and she probably still might deny it, you know? Because mm-hmm. yeah. sometimes people don't want to see themselves as a, a certain thing or they don't want right. to think that my child has this because you know in her in her mind like her children are rock stars you know that, that's right. what she thinks but like I want to change the narrative to to make it be more like okay you can be a rock star with this you don't have to like that doesn't take like you away from doing anything you know and, and speaking of confidence writing about ADHD in my book was actually like a major confidence booster for me because you, you say that is there anything that you, you were worried that people were going to um, say? And like for mm-hmm. me, like going into psychiatry and, and now being able to prescribe like these stimulants and ADHD medications, like going into that field for a living, I was concerned that what if people find out that I was like taking the same medication that I was prescribing? Right. That was like a, a huge like, cloud. Of, like I used to stress out over that. And I, I, I thought to myself, I'm like, I don't know if I should put this in my book or not, because if I put it in my book, then everybody knows. And then mm-hmm. I started to think about, well, maybe I don't have to, to really talk about that. And then looking back, I didn't have to talk about it because you, you, you owe nobody anything. But I'm happy that I put that in because the book is as vulnerable as it, it can be. Like, I want it to be authentic. So mm-hmm. by putting that in the book, I had so many people reach out to me and said they were going through the same thing. And I started to tell myself, where if, what if I kept that to myself? It's the book still would have done well, but it would have been the most authentic, you know, product that I could put out. So once that was out there in the world, like that was the one thing that if I was speaking on stage somewhere and somebody or if I was on TikTok Live and somebody mentioned that, that would kind of like eat away at me because like I know it to be true. Right. So like, you know, but once that was out there, there's like nothing, nothing scares me at this point. Obviously family members and friends or if I'm dating somebody like I wouldn't want anybody on the outside to be affected by what I do online so that's like off limits out of bounds but in terms of like me what somebody could say about me I honestly can't think of a single thing that would make me be like oh I'm concerned like there's nothing at this point yeah that must be a very freeing feeling um right you know uh that makes me think of two things do you think that that you're, because I remember you spoke a little bit about having difficulty in school and um, mm-hmm. like elementary school, high, high school or whatever. Do you think that was because of the ADHD? Like, do you think if you would have got diagnosed sooner that that would have been different or no? For sure. For oh, sure. really? And, yeah. And, and sometimes I think about like, in, if I had, if I had been diagnosed in high school, I, I would have done so much better. I know it to be true. I, I know wonder why teachers didn't like flag that why they weren't like hey I think this person 
this person's so smart. They right. have difficulty focusing. I wonder if this should be brought, like, did teachers ever bring up like, oh, maybe you have ADHD or was that not even something that anyone brought up? I'm sure in, um, in maybe middle school and, and elementary school, but by the time I got to high school, I think I became pretty good at hiding things, mm. you know, or I would always like find a, a different reason as to why I didn't get my homework done on time. And then whenever I would like choose to do something, I would do it excellently. And I, like one time I remember I got like the highest grade on a, a French test and people were shocked. You know, people were like, what? He, and, I, and then like my friends who, like my, my true friends who were like, hey, Kojo, good job. Like you can, you're capable of doing this type of thing. That boosted my confidence to see people support me like that. But like there were little glimpses of like where I realized that uh, I realized that I could um, do anything that I put my mind to, you know, but I, I think teachers definitely picked up on it in high school. Uh, I'm not sure what, and I, I was kind of yeah. defiant. I'm not sure what they even like said. I didn't read report cards. I was kind of living in my own world, but yeah, I did, I did compensate for it in, in many different ways, like humor, trying to play things off, but like yeah. really I was having to do a million things to like get one thing done. Right. It just makes me frustrated with our education system because it's like, mm -hmm. this is your job as teachers to be looking out for right. for students and trying to like help in whatever right. whatever the situation may be because everybody's unique and individual and has everybody has different struggles and different um, right. things that they're great at and things that they need help with. And I'm always like, man, I just want our education system to, you know, step up to the plate. So Right. I do think the education system needs to step up and especially with child ADHD, you have to see it in like two more settings. So it can't even be a home. It can't even be a school, you know? Oh. So, so, right. You have to see it like at home. You have to see the impairment at home and the impairment at school. Mm. So I'm sure the teachers saw it, but I wasn't like in a big hurry to like bring it home to my parents because like they were worried about paying the bills. Like, right. And I thought that like, my struggles weren't valid enough so for me to come home and say hey I can't focus like I'm like in my mind I'm like what the hell like they're trying to pay the light bill you know yeah. they're not worried about you you can't focus in school you you better go to school you read make yourself focus right um, and a lot of times we didn't have insurance growing up so right uh like and that's a whole I, another thing that that, that right. we need to fix in yeah. our fucking country is getting universal health care for everybody. It, it, it's 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 awful. We had no insurance growing up, yeah. uh, and I really felt like like bringing it, bringing my inattention um, and, and, or lack of attention to my parents was selfish because you know they didn't have insurance. So why should I come to my parents and ask them to go get checked out? Like we don't have money to go to the doctor you know if it's an emergency we'll go to the er right. but otherwise we don't have money for that so it wasn't like a priority at all like is this something that you have to kind of like uh silently power through unfortunately at least in my case yeah which is just i mean that's a whole nother thing is like how america views mental health and the, the fact that like we have to start prioritizing it right. for people we have to start giving people the ability to access free mental health i mean i know that there are mm -hmm. some options but we could just do so much better yeah. um which comes back kind of full circle to why i love your tiktok so much because it's free you right. know it's free therapy it's free mm -hmm. mental health advice um that's accessible to most people you know anybody I mean I guess not most people not everybody has a phone but you know what I mean um right yeah it's out there for the public it's out there yeah which is so it's such a great tool for everybody to just like have in their toolkit um why did out of curiosity why did you decide to put it in your book why did you decide in in the end that you wanted to put in the fact that you were diagnosed with ADHD because it's something that it's there's a lot of shame behind it you know for whatever reason there's a lot of shame behind it and I knew that there were other people who felt the same way mm -hmm. and I did I did my research and I would google like famous people with ADHD and I'll read yeah. about some celebrities or 
Justin Bieber, where I read about football players like Richard Sherman and, and Earl Thomas who would like who were diagnosed with ADHD and like their struggles. And you know, the one of the reasons why I didn't want to talk about it is because by the time I was 26, I had already, you know, like I won most outstanding student when I graduated undergrad. Um, I had the nonprofit going. Um, the with the, the partnership with, with Mental Health America, I had that going. I had the um, clothing company going. I was working my ass off, so I was making money and like just traveling everywhere. And just I felt like I was kind of like living the life on Instagram and in real life. And I thought that if people, if people like learned that okay, he was diagnosed with ADHD in grad school and he started to take medication, that people would attribute my success to the medication. Oh, and I didn't want people and like internally I was coming with all these makeup scenarios where I'm like okay if somebody confronts me with this this is what I'm gonna say like I was already going on the, the defense you know because like I was getting upset about fake hypotheticals like right. if somebody comes to me and says oh you took meds well I'm like okay I'll give you Adderall see if you can pull off what I can pull off but nobody was saying this I was like making up all these scenarios in my head stressing out over it so that was was your yeah it was what you were making the narrative you were telling right yeah so it it was cathartic for me to just put it out there but then Uh, eventually you were you just like like what what happened where you were like okay fuck it I'm just gonna put it out there just being like just wanting to be authentic to yourself is that what caused you to put it in there so I was having like all I was having like conversations with people that I was close to and I wasn't like mentioned the ADHD specifically, but I would have conversations and just ask them about their life and about things that meant a lot to them or what, what they struggle with. And everybody had like a, a certain struggle, like everybody had like a thing. And as I started to pick up on that pattern within people, then I had the courage to put it in my book. But I didn't tell people like, hey, I'm gonna talk about my ADHD. I, I kind of like put out like small feelers. And that's what I recommend for people. Like if you're trying to become, comp- you know, increase your confidence or if you're, you know, you want to post online or like whatever you want to do, or if you have imposter syndrome, like mm-hmm. do small, like put out like small feelers and boost your confidence over time. Nobody wakes up the next day and then you become natural on camera. You don't, you don't wake up and become like, a, you know, Hollywood. Like it, it takes time for you to be good at whatever you're doing. So you have to start practicing for the person that you, you envision yourself to be one day. So I started to do that. I started to practice. And then over time, I built my confidence to do that. And um, that was one of the best things I could have done for myself because now I don't like I'm not like thousand percent confident like of course I have some insecurities I know that like my hairline will recede by you know in a couple more years so like everybody has certain things but that was like the major cloud hanging over my head the ADHD thing so once that was out then I'm like okay I really have nothing else to worry about Yeah. I relate to that so much because like you said, we all have our own things. And like, Mm. I have struggled with depression and anxiety my entire adult life. I've had eating disorders. I've self-harmed in the past. Like I have, you know, I have all the Mm. things and now I'm, I am like, okay, sharing that because I'm like, well, if I can help someone else, Right. realize that they're not alone in the struggle or mm-hmm. that I can, that I'm here to support them, Right. then maybe, I don't know, maybe that can make a difference in their lives. So it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Like yeah. You, you, like the way I see it is like, of course it's like a little eight second dancing video or whatever, but like you have kids out there who, you know, like on some real shit, they're about to kill themselves. Like they have yeah. a plan and everything. They come yeah. across the video and they're like, I'm, I'm gonna stick around that blew my mind like once I realized that that was what I was doing I'm like this is crazy I'm like I get goosebumps like thinking about it I'm like I'm like I don't even see myself to be that type of person like when when I'm in a funk I'll go watch like some Dave Chappelle or something like that and I'll laugh and then I'll feel better but I, but I don't look at my videos to feel better so I don't see my content like it's just me like right, I'm just talking about what's in my head yeah right so when people feel that way about my content or just going through the like the DMs, I'm like, you you can't put a price tag on that type of feeling. Like if you could sell that feeling in, in a bottle, it's just the the biggest ball of serotonin ever. I mean, yeah. I, I just 
it, it, that's what like, and I'm not even sure where this whole thing will go for me or, you know, I'm not sure if a day will come when people like you will, like, I don't want to interview him anymore. Like people might get tired of me. I don't know. But like just being able to do what I've already done, like that right there has, has meant a lot to me. I think it's pretty yeah. cool. And that's something that like in doing this podcast, I've done a lot of research on confidence. And one of the like pillars of confidence is um, not being attached to any outcomes or like doing oh, yeah, it, yeah. doing it for the journey, doing it for right. the process, as opposed right. to being like, I want, you know, I want it to be mm. this, which is not to say that you shouldn't have goals. Goals are great, right. but being flexible with them and exactly. sort of reveling and enjoying mm. the process is what sort of what it's all about. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, man. I agree. And for anybody who's listening to this and is struggling with mental health, like Go, you talk to some, like, actually, I should ask you, what do you suggest? Oh, my dog just jumped off the bed. Um, <laughs> you're probably like, what the fuck just crossed your room? Um, if someone out there is struggling with mental health right now, right? What, what, what would you tell them? So the thing I would say is that obviously if it's, if it's a situation where you're in crisis, call 911, yep. you know, call the suicide hotline, like get emergent help. Like you have to, you know, when you're in crisis and it's an emergency, you, you can only combat that with like emergent measures. And that means now we want to get to the hospital ASAP, make sure you're safe, make sure from, safe from hurting yourself, other people or destroying property. Um, but for people who have the day-to-day -day struggles, it's best to, to just have like a, a mental health meter, like checking on yourself, see how you're feeling, pick up on ten, like tendencies, like when you feel good, what does it look like? How's your room mm. look like? How's your mm. car look like? Uh, have you got an oil change? Uh, you know, things like that. Like when you're not doing too good, uh, like what's going on? Like, who are you hanging around? You know, when you tell good news to somebody, are they happy? Are they sad? Like, are there people? And, and I hate to say it, but you have people in this world who are not good, mm -hmm. you know, and from where I'm from, you know, you call it hating ass people. Uh, but you know, that just means that they have their own struggles too. And you have to be empathetic towards what they're going through but then you let them figure that out on their own. Like you figure it out and then like we can meet together later, but you have to be very selfish with your mental health, you know? Like, yeah, and setting boundaries. Uh, boundaries, and you have to have rules. Like if, some, like if somebody does a certain thing to me, like I'll always show love to you. I never wanna go on social media to slander you, nothing like that. But once somebody has shown me who they are, I know who you are and I will keep my distance. Literally, mm -hmm. and if, if if you need something, I can help out. Yeah, I'll help you out. But like, am I going to invite you into my infamous space in my home? Right. Probably not. Right. You know, but you you have to have these rules and and don't compromise for nobody, nothing, no. Even family members, like like yeah. my parents know I love them, but they wouldn't put me in a position to where I was uncomfortable. But if I was, I would tell them, no, I'm not going to do this. I I can't do it. I'm sorry. I, I can't do it. I love you still. They might be mm -hmm. upset, but they'll come back around and say, oh, this is my person, it's my son, it's my friend, it's my spouse, you know, mm -hmm. but don't do things that you don't want to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know? that's great. That's great. Um, okay, I'm going to recap all the notes that I've taken during this uh, call. <laughs> there are a lot. Um, <laughs> and please correct me if I'm wrong for any of these or if I mm -hmm. misunderstood what you were saying. Um, I don't want to misconstrue um, your oh. meaning behind your words. So. Sure. <laughs> um, okay. Intentional effort to be authentic every day. Make mistakes. Everyone does. Grow from them. You have to tell yourself you are something before you can do it. Read and educate yourself. See yourself reflected in the world around you, which is not always in our control, but is helpful. Um, be financially independent, independence in general. Sometimes not getting something can serve as a wake-up call. Perspective change, surround yourself with successful friends who make you feel good. As humans, realize we're all similar. Help those around you help themselves. I loved that. Um, discover your purpose. Realize there are different paths to reach your purpose. Be inspired by the people around you. Have goals build a good community around yourself, have a support system, don't care about the haters. Uh, if you don't like me, that's on you. I loved that quote. Have empathy, own it, remove shame from the equation, fail, 
you can be a rock star and still need assistance. Those, those are, you can do both. Um, your struggles are valid. Remember your struggles are valid. Have courage, put out small feelers and boost your confidence over time. Practice being vulnerable. Notice what's happening around you in the moments when you're feeling good and when the moments you're, you're feeling bad. Set boundaries and rules and don't compromise your values. Yeah, that was great. I should have had you in school taking notes for me. <laughs> <laughs> Man, those are really, awesome. really good. Um, those are so helpful and beneficial. Thank you so much for giving I me your time. Um, I you. absolutely love your TikTok. I love what you do. Uh, it's both entertaining, entertaining and just so helpful um, to the world. So I really appreciate what you do. And I know thank you. so many other people do as well. So thank you so much. No problem. That means a lot to me. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of How the Fuck Did You Get So Confident? Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And you can also head over to patreon.com slash howthefuck for bonus episodes, video content, and more. Thanks again.